when my kids were in school 30 years ago, we made one decision. It was where are you going to live so you get your kids into the school that you want to go to, right? It, so you made one decision. Kids went up the escalator to get a good job and move out, you know, and be employed and then do better than you as a parent. Well, that doesn't work anymore on a lot of fronts for most families. Welcome to 360 Real Time, a Steelcase podcast with behind-the-scenes conversations on what we're learning about the places where people work, learn, and heal. I'm Rebecca Charbowski. I'm here today with Tom Vanderark. Tom is CEO of Getting Smart, where he advises educators and organizations that support education on the path forward. He's the author of Better Together, Getting Smart, Smart Cities, and Smart Parents. He also served as the first executive director of education for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Tom, thanks for being here. It's great to be here. I'm sitting here with Gabby Skerritt and Eileen Strickland-McGee, both from Steelcase Education Workspace Futures. Welcome to both of you. Hi, good to see you. Hey, thanks. Before we get started, we want to ask our listeners to help us share this podcast. Tell a friend, send them a link. Anything is appreciated to let everyone know about this podcast. We want to start today to really go inside the schools. And I'm curious if you could share with us, Tom, what's working out there? Today, we we were talking a lot about higher education in our active learning symposium, and that brought to mind Olin College. It's a tiny school, about 350 students, all focus on active learning. Uh, Every class incorporates design thinking, and the campus design is a great example of that. Students are doing active hands-on work in every class starting from day one. Are you guys seeing that too, Eileen and Gabby, uh, K through higher ed, where you're seeing these sort of innovative approaches? Absolutely. I, I, I would say that um, you know, active learning, project-based learning, uh, increasingly personalized learning, we're starting to see that not just as unique, isolated examples, but more across the board. That's, that's what people are talking about and trying to adopt in different ways. Tell us more about what you've seen in terms of project-based learning. Gabby and Eileen have called it the pedagogy soup. There's so many different kinds of learning being tried. What do you see with project-based learning and what kind of successes are you seeing there? Well, so let's start with why it's so important. So if young people are going to face all this novelty and complexity in an ever-changing workplace, and if we really want them to develop collaboration, critical thinking, creativity, if we want them to develop character that includes persistence and the sense of of agency, the ability to manage big, complicated tasks, they're not going to get those things through a series of teacher-developed worksheets. We've been talking about how the world is becoming more complex, but the fact that when students are learning in project-based teams, it's their one of a system or Mm -hmm. one of a group rather than experience where they're the only one doing the work, turning it in, getting the grade, which is very individualized, centered or I-centered, and to really have them over and over and over be again in these we experiences, which is how we experience work every single day here at Steelcase. It's a we, you're never like an I, or I would hope that it instills within the next generations this idea of you are a part of a whole, you are not the whole. So... When it goes back to when you ask students if they like working in groups, they hate it at first, right? They, they, they're always complaining about the person who's not doing enough or not doing their assignment. Um, that doesn't go away. <laughs> you know, that, 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 that continues on into the working world. And, and part of the learning is how to deal with someone 
who's mm-hmm. not pulling their own weight? How do you talk to that person? It's an incredible learning opportunity that you can't replicate, as you were saying, with worksheets. You have to practice it. How important are networks in education? This idea of picking your head up, looking outside your own walls, and starting to see what other people are doing. Yeah, we, we think it's super important. Our new book is called Better Together. And, and here's the thesis. It's that personalized and competency-based learning, meaning every student really has a, a unique learning pathway and progresses as, as they demonstrate mastery, uh, is really promising, but it's enormously complicated. And it's crazy to think that, uh, you know, 150,000 schools and universities are, are going to figure this out on their own. And so we're really encouraging people to work together in networks. Some of those networks are really, really tight. They're managed networks, like a a charter management organization. Uh, Some are uh, loose affiliations, like the New Tech Network is a voluntary, I call it a platform network, because they share a learning model and a learning platform and a set of teacher tools. Some are just uh, loose leadership platforms in the League of Innovative Schools uh, is an example of about 100 superintendents that are collaborating. Yeah, we often hear that teachers have lonely jobs in that they're often stuck in their classrooms and they don't have the time or the resources right. to go out and even talk to their peers, let alone peers at other institutions. And one of the um, one of the ways that teachers get around not having that built in at their school is using technology, using the social networks available to them. So Twitter education chats or Pinterest teaching lesson plans, or um, even there's a website called Teachers Pay Teachers where they're sharing lesson plans and some for pay, some for free. I think there's a couple fundamental reasons that collaboration is becoming more important. This idea of personalized and competency-based learning, to me, really makes education a team sport now. And oh, I like if, that. if you're really serious about a broader set of outcomes that really stress not just basic academic skills, but also uh, success skills, the real career-ready skills, that really requires a team. If you're promoting integrated projects that are extended challenges, that really requires a team. If learners are able to move at different rates in different subjects, that requires a team. How much of a difference has technology made in the ability to connect educators and to change the way that these networks and maybe the speed at which these networks can actually help change the way our kids are learning? Well, I think it overcomes one of the biggest barriers, which is the geographical distance and the fact that you have to be present every day for your job as a teacher, especially in K-12, and um, and also that funds are limited and maybe traveling to conferences isn't something that um, you can afford every year. So it really minimizes or closes that gap between other instructors. I think just being able to, again, this is the power of the network, being able to see it. Mm-hmm. And we hear that over and over from teachers is like, they don't know what they don't know. If they're able to see it online or um, hear about it, all of a sudden that opens up possibility. And I think that becomes really important is to be able to see if that person or if that school can do it, well, we can do it here. And let's talk about how technology empowers student learning. The teacher doesn't have to be the only way to convey knowledge to a student. You can create a playlist, and a student can have three different ways to learn. It's much easier to write. It's much easier to build presentations. It's much easier to 
present um, and publish information to a worldwide audience. So it's really a game changer for students as well. And that production for an audience adds to the meaning of the work, right? right? So it doesn't stop at your parents getting to read the paper you wrote, but you can really expand that to, like you said, a worldwide audience. It really does uh, change the motivation. Right. So if I'm an educator, if I'm a teacher, an administrator, and I, you know, I want to learn, but I don't have the funds to go to a conference every year, and I don't have the time to go do workshops the way I'd like to, could you give me like one or two things that I could do starting quickly that could maybe open my eyes or give me some way to start developing these networks? Well, the most important thing to do is go visit other schools. I there, There's no better professional learning opportunity. Um, it's great for parents. It's great for teachers. I've had the chance to visit thousands of schools, and it's really been life-changing for me. But I think it's important to remember that there's great things happening in every school and in every city. So walk down the hall and look for somebody who's better at something than you are if you're a teacher. Uh, Get a recommendation on a cool school that's in your neighborhood and go visit them. And it's not about finding that right answer, but it's about setting the stage and allowing people to share that. We can determine, is this right for me? Because there's not going to be one right answer. There'll be multiple. And the fact that teachers and students can be taking things and creating things that you wouldn't even thought to put together, but then they can share that and that sparks another idea. That's how ideas spread across the country and across the world. So Tom, you've visited thousands of schools and um, you've probably seen everything from desks bolted to the floor to beanbags everywhere. So I'm curious, you know, when you walk into a school, how big a difference does the physical space make? You can tell a tremendous amount by in the first 30 seconds. Uh, Really, as you approach the school, as you walk in the door, you begin to get a sense of what it's about, how people treat each other, what the adult-to-adult relationships are like, what the adult-to-learner relationships are like. When we go on school visits, we'll sometimes go visit schools that are in a bunch of trailers or a bunch of modular buildings. And some of my favorite schools are in some of the worst facilities in America, right? And they're joy-filled, amazing learning spaces. So you can do really good work anywhere. It is so exciting to see how space can invite and encourage and inform learning. And we're seeing so many schools and colleges really begin to rethink the environment and experiences simultaneously. What I'm most optimistic about are are places that are thinking about space and program and tools uh, simultaneously and iterating on all three of those. Everyone here is nodding their heads for anyone listening. Albemarle County, this is Charlottesville, Virginia. A fantastic group of educators has been working together for 30 years, and they've been iterating on their learning model. And they're now, when the, as they renovate each of their elementary schools, they're creating these big six-classroom multi-age pods. And they're connected, but they feel very intimate. So you have different floor space and different ceiling height and different kinds of uh, activity spaces. So you can have individual workstations. You can have small group workstations. You can have large presentation spaces all in the same area. Um, I I was in Singapore recently visiting the Singapore American School, a school that's really 
been transformed from one of the best traditional test-taking schools in the world six years ago to one of the best active learning schools in the world. And what I was most excited about on my last trip was their Pathfinder spaces. So in each grade level, they've created a new set of classrooms. They're almost always big open spaces that are connected. And at each grade level cluster, they're investigating different different aspects, whether the math group should be incorporated into the main pod or kept separately, uh, whether they should do glass, um, movable glass walls or soft walls, right? So they're interrogating both the learning model and the facilities components and the the seating and the tables in each of these Pathfinder spaces. So it, it, it was really the best action research project that I've seen that combines facility and the learning model and the tool set uh, simultaneously. We actually visited a local Montessori school, and they did that every year for their incoming class. They, they observed the students for, say, two weeks or a month and understood their behaviors. And with the students, they said, okay, we're going to reconfigure our classroom as a class. What should it look like? So it's involving the students so they have a sense That's of exciting. ownership. Yeah. But it's also not saying, oh, we found the answer, yeah. right? Because if you get another group of kids, the answer is totally different. Cone Valley, just east of San Diego, high poverty, 15,000 student K-8 school district. They systematically introduce um, young people to careers in that district. And when I was there a couple weeks ago, I was in a kindergarten classroom. They were investigating social careers, um, including teaching. Hmm. And so one, one of the, the kindergartners, a young lady, came up to me and showed me with her iPad that she was designing a new kindergarten classroom. So she was actually oh, awesome. using design software to pick the kind of furniture and to uh, link classrooms together and be able to describe what she wanted her learning experience to look like. So, so there you have design thinking wow. uh, and, and sort of career exploration uh, actively happening in a kindergarten you're seeing people start to really understand that space matters and that it makes a difference and that even some of the schools that we visited for the personalized learning, teachers who were naturally sort of shifting to more personalized ways of teaching and learning because they're like, this is the right thing to do for students, their spaces were naturally shifting without them being intentional about it. We just had a, a school come through and visit, and they told us that they had installed an active learning classroom and had put a class in that room, and then they moved them back to a traditional room. And in the active learning classroom, it was a rowdy class. There's a lot of talking. There's a lot of engagement. And they moved the same kids into a, back into a traditional room, and it was silent. Mm -hmm. And so uh, because they did that experimentation, because they saw the benefits firsthand, they really were believers of how space could affect the tone of a classroom. Well, so what should parents be thinking about, Tom, as they, you know, look over their kids' education, I guess? Um, and I do want to hear more about what you mentioned to me earlier, which is that you were in a debate about screen time and you were the pro, screen, the pro time screen time guy. Because I'm I, a parent who my lost. kids get no screen time, basically. Well, then you were on the winning side <laughs> last week. So, let, so let's start with uh, some advice for smart parents. When... When my kids were in school 30 years ago, we made one decision. It was, where are you going to live so you get your kids into the school that you want to go to, right? It, so you made one decision. Kids went up the escalator to get a good job and move out, you know, and be employed and then do better than you as a parent. Well, that doesn't work anymore on a lot of fronts for most families. 
And um, one of the big factors we don't think about is that parenting today takes about uh, an order of magnitude more decisions about learning than it did when I had little kids. It means that you and your kids are making a lot more decisions today about learning. And it, it starts with screen time, how much screen time, how much time and what is it that you do online? So we think it's super important that parents be even more involved uh, than I was when I, my kids were little. And that does mean that you have to manage the amount of time that children, especially young children, spend online. Right. But even more than that, you have to be conscious of what it is they're doing online. So not just managing the time, but also managing the the content. So I was reading that the digital divide is not who has access and who doesn't anymore. It's who uh, who has parents that are keeping track and doing exactly right. what you just we, said, we call, right? We call like, it the guidance gap. Yeah. yeah. So so talk more about that. What were you advocating for? Well, the, the proposition was that screen time be radically limited in schools. So I was debating one of the founders of Great Hearts about how much technology students should have. Uh, he thought young people needed time away from their phones and away from screens where uh, they could just um, dialogue with teachers and other young people. And I agree. Uh, but I also think taking an Amish approach of, of just not having any technology is dumb for all the reasons that we talked about before, that there's access to so many learning opportunities and access to so many production opportunities that I don't want to limit uh, opportunities for young people, but I do want to manage them. And I, I think it's important for both parents and teachers to really help manage um, screen time and then help teenagers begin to manage it themselves. Tom, Gabby, Eileen, thank you all for being here. Thanks Great for having us. Here. Yeah, You've been listening to Tom Vanderart, author and CEO of Getting Smart, along with Gabby Skerritt and Eileen Strickland-McGee with Steelcase Education Workspace Futures. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might want to check out a recent episode we recorded all about personalized learning with Eileen and Gabby. You can find that and more conversations at steelcase.com slash podcasts. And thanks again to everyone who's rated or reviewed this podcast. It helps others find it. If you haven't had a chance to do it, we ask you to start now. Thanks for joining us.